It's time to explore the unexplained, to delve into the mysteries of our world and the realms beyond, to seek out the answers to phenomena that defy conventional explanation. Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with Karen Frazier and Chucky G, where that journey begins. Good evening. This is Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark with your hosts, the sleepy Karen Frazier and me, Chucky G. Good evening, Karen. Oh, and good evening, Cheryl, too. Good evening, Cheryl, Karen, Chad, and Hi. the listeners. Hi. Hi. I'm going to do my best to stay awake. <laughs> I am so tired that I swear to God, I thought my feet were on backward today when I looked at them and then realized Lord. I realized they were just crossed at the ankle. Oh, so, yeah. Great. And of all the times to be sleepyhead when we have our wonderful guest this evening. A really smart guy. And yeah. Mm-hmm. He's going to be like, who are these talk show hosts? And uh, he could just dumb it down for us. So, tonight we have Stanton T. Friedman and Kathleen Martin, authors of Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers The Truth Behind the Misinformation, Distortion, Derision by Debunkers, Government Agencies, and Conspiracy Conmen. Well, there's a title for you. Woo-hoo-hoo! What, what? There you go. So, um, yeah, I'll just be going. I'll be like really basic. Do you believe in UFOs? Do you think there's aliens? That's the kind of questions I'm I don't for. think that you should ask them that because the answer to those is both very clearly yes. Mm-hmm. I, I could. I, okay, I could. Okay, but here's the thing: what's to not believe in with UFOs? Because all a UFO is is a flying object that's unidentified. Right. I want to understand. I want to understand different things, like the connection between aliens and UFOs. I understand UFOs are just an unidentified flying object. I want to know about aliens and spacecrafts. You know, them coming here in their spacecrafts. That's what I want to know about. Well, and the other thing is that Stanton Friedman was the very first guest we had on the big show. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, no pressure there. <laughs> no pressure there. So, um, anything happening uh, exciting in your life, Karen? Besides being tired, of course. But I mean, any classes coming up or anything you want to well, share? Sure. Yeah. Okay, sure. I'm teaching a crystal healing class at the mm-hmm. Lewis County Historical Museum mm-hmm. on Saturday from 6 to 7.30. And then the following Saturday, and this is super exciting, Seth, Michael, and Aurora are coming to the Lewis County Historical Museum to uh, do a um, a gallery reading. Sweet. LewisCountyMuseum.org. You can get to the link for tickets for that. We're excited about that. I'm also, for both of those classes, or for the class and the gallery reading, uh, mm-hmm. White Light Paranormal Insight is going to do a kid's ghost camp that same next Saturday during the day. Okay. For kids, like, I think it's 8 to 13, I think is what we with the ages but i could be wrong um but the information is on the museum website lewiscountymuseum.org and then also um coming up and i don't know which weekend but i think it might be next sunday maybe Mm -hmm. i'm um teaching a dream interpretation class i should probably being as tired as i am and thinking my feet are on backwards (laughs) i should probably have the schedule up in front of me but no i'm free balling it tonight man Here we go, folks. Free balling it in the kill. Free balling it. Free balling it. There you go. In the wind. (laughs) Well, you know, um, I have a class coming up. It's just one, by the way. And by the way, if you're doing your crystal class, you should be putting your book out there, that top 10 book you got out there. You should be selling some of those babies while you're doing your classes because, I mean, come on. 
it's something to be proud of. So I have a we I have, have a class. two copies of the book right now. Do you? Yeah, two copies. I have a signed copy. But anyways, um, November 4th, uh, right here in Yorkville, Illinois, Sense of Samadhi, which is the local yoga studio, I will be teaching a class called The Spirit Journey, where we're going to talk about, you know, loving yourself and connecting to your inner voice, and we're going to do a guided meditation, and we're just going to have some fun. We're going to have a good time. It's from 7.15 to 8.45 p.m., so, because uh, they'd be there at B-Square, but that'd be kind of corny, but, you know, uh, I'm hoping people can. Look how specific you are. Well, thank you. Well, and I noticed that William Becker has come into chat, and um, William also is doing a class at the Lewis County Historical Museum, and mm-hmm. he's doing a class at the Klondike, and maybe he would very kindly type into the chat room exactly when those classes are, um, mm-hmm. because, again, super tired and have nothing up in front of me. <laughs> and so I would only screw it up. And also, we have a, our correspondence segment tonight is from William, right? That is correct. Yes, he's going to be talking about the Rialto Historical Society headquarters and museum. He's going to kind of give us his views of the history and hauntings. So it's going to be cool. Sweet. All Uh, right. Well, I I know there's a little delay between here and chat. So hopefully William heard me say that we would like him to please put information about his two classes that he's coming up. You know, October is, I call it our busy season. mm Mm-hmm. But October is a great month for paranormal people because we wind up um, all over. Yeah. Oh, so Patrick Keller just sent me a message that said he doesn't know if anyone else is affected, but he can't type in chat. And all I can say is, Patrick Keller, I don't even see you in chat. I know. I don't see him in chat. I'm going to type right now. I would suggest, Patrick, that you exit and re-enter and see if it works. Oh, no. I just typed in hello. And we just typed in hi. We're fine. I, I Patrick, I think you might be in the isolated chat room. <laughs> He's put in the corner. He's in the chat room corner. Oh, no, isn't ha, isn't this the one where sometimes you get sucked into? Oh, a weird that's chat right. Room? And yep. now he has sent me a message on Facebook that says, "Hmm, <laughs> help me, help me." <laughs> so hopefully Patrick gets that straightened out, and hopefully William heard us. Or I could actually go look because it's like on. Facebook, I suppose. Sure, um, you can go look. I, I have some. I have some news coming up, and and one of them's the kind of long. So yeah, you do okay. the news, and I'll try and figure out all of the events. Okay, all right, Gerald. If you want to go ahead and roll it. Just when you thought the world couldn't get any weirder, it's time for news of the strange. <laughs> okay. This is a long one. This is something that I saw a long time ago. I have it actually on uh, DVD. It's kind of it's really hard to get. But before you know the Blair Witch and all these all this you know mockumentary stuff that they put out, you know where you think it's something that's real but it's really not real. Uh, we know how what happened with Orson Welles and when he did his Aliens uh, broadcast. This is similar, and I'm gonna just read the whole thing. So it's gonna take a little while. So just bear with me, okay? So this is the BBC Halloween hoax that traumatized viewers. And this happened in uh, 1995. Okay. So after more than 20,000 phone calls, one induced labor and thousands of angry letters, the UK's Broadcasting Standards Council convened for a hearing. On June 27th, 1995, they ruled that the producers of Ghost Watch, a BBC program that aired on Halloween night less than three years earlier, had deliberately sent out to cultivate a sense of menace. Put another way, the BBC had been found to be complicit in scaring 11 million people senseless. 
All right. Airing from North Holt, North London, Ghostwatch alleged to report on the paranormal experiences of the early family, which had been besieged by the actions of a ghostly apparition called Pipes. Four recognized BBC presenters appeared on the show, which took on the appearance of a straightforward documentary and offered only subtle clues that it was an elaborate hoax. For a significant portion of viewers, it appeared as though they were witnessing documented evidence of a malevolent spirit. Viewers grew so disturbed by the content that the network became embroiled in a controversy over what audiences felt was a ruse perpetrated by a trustworthy news source. Case of post-traumatic stress disorder in children were even reported in the British Medical Journal. What the BBC had intended to be nothing more than alarming and an effective horror movie had petrified a country. Uh, there's something around, you know, the myths surrounding Orson Welles and famous War of the Worlds broadcast on October 30th, 1938. As the decades have passed, accounts of how Welles used H.G. Wells' story to fool a nation into believing aliens had invaded have become embellished. Listeners have supposedly become so infused with terror that they leaped from windows and suffered nervous breakdowns. Major cities had streets crowded with people craning their necks and looking for signs of the violent galactic attack. While it's true a number of people have been disturbed by the accounts of military forces being overwhelmed by aliens, it's unlikely to have been as widespread as later accounts would have it. Newspapers eager to browbeat the competing medium of radio exaggerated the show's effect, then quickly dropped the matter. Um, as perpetrators of the hoax, only Stephen Volks seemed to have lived up to the standards Wells is thought to have set. A screenwriter, Volks, pitched the BBC on a six-part series around a roving paranormal investigation crew that climaxes in a living, a live tour of a supposed haunted house. However, uh, it wasn't that he, you know, BBC wasn't enthused about devoting that much time to the idea. Instead, the pitch was condensed down to the last episode, kind of a mockumentary t- uh, take on a paranormal occurrence that Channel could air on a Halloween special. For Volks, it represented an opportunity to explore what he felt was the relative comfort of a television broadcast. Audiences went to horror films, he believed, knowing what to expect, consenting to be scared. But television was more intimate and less predictable. Viewers who turned in expecting a spoof or anticlimactic tongue-in-cheek exploration would soon be in for a surprise and not a pleasant one. To add to the program's credibility, Volks and director Les Manning structured it so two BBC presenters, Sarah Green and Craig Charles, would be installed at the early house, while highly regarded broadcaster Michael Parkinson would anchor from a studio. Both Charles and Green frequently popped up on BBC children's programming, which would prove to be a lure when it came to the adolescent audience. Actors portrayed members of the early family, single mom Pam, daughter Susan, Kim, all reporting instances of strange activity in their home, including rattling, mysterious cat noises, smashing disses. Susan would sport odd scratches on her face, which she claimed to be the works of Pipes, the ghost who refused to leave their home. In a testament to Vogue's commitment, he petitioned the BBC to allow him to try and insert a high-pitched warbling on the soundtrack that would be audible to animals near television, hoping the bizarre, bizarre behavior would unsettle viewers even more. It proved technically impossible. All right. By the time Ghostwatch premiered at 9.25 p.m. on October 31st, the special had already been filmed, showing Parkinson's reacting to segments and taking calls all staged that invited the audience to discuss their experiences with paranormal activity. In the interests of fairness, he also included an interview with a fake skeptic dismissing the earliest claims. Only highly observant viewers would have done the same. While the show began with a title card indicating it was written by Volk, the graphic was on screen for only a split second. 
the presence of the established and familiar faces to BBC viewers added to the real the real the real reality to it. So did the program slow burn. At 90 minutes, it took its time, showing only fleeting glimpses into Early's family experiences. They were left uh, ambiguous. In the show's second half, things took a turn. A viewer called them to tell them that someone had once committed suicide in the home. A, a mutilated dog corpse was said to be recently found. The earliest children were depicted as increasingly upset over the home's disturbances. Around an hour in, Parkinson even abused, advised viewers to be preempted scheduling programs to remain while Green, due to the extraordinary events taking place, Susan speaking in a baritone voice and unseen cats mewing behind the walls. Ultimately, Green disappeared in the crawl space under the home stairs while a paranormal expert proclaimed that the television audience had unwittingly participated in a mass sands that had further embroiled the pipes. At the end of the show, Parkinson was seen apparently possessed by the ghost spirits. Public discourse included on the BBC's own viewer feedback showed Bikeback criticizing the station for using his reputation to fool viewers into thinking harm had come to both the earlies and to their hosts. Parapsychologist Susan Blackmore later said that it treated the audience unfairly. It can be exciting to play on the edge of fantasy and reality or stretch the accepted norms of television convention, but this was neither true to its format nor fun. It was horrid to watch the distress of the girls, real or fake. It found it overlong and occasionally disgusting. So, because of this, Ghostwatch led the Broadcasting Standard Council to rule that it had been properly labeled with too few warnings that it was a fictionist premise. Later, the handheld camera raw footage approach would unnerve you know, audiences for like the Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity series. While those films rarely resulted in acclaims more seriously than motion sickness, Ghostwatch successfully marred the BBC's credibility with an, ineffect an effective ghost story to create an audience that unlikely to be ever duplicated. Uh, not that the network has tried ever since. I also, I actually have this, like I said, the DVD, and I've watched it. I mean, if you watch it now... It's from the 90s, so you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. you will see that it does look like it's a real news broadcast, and this stuff is really happening. And, you know, because of the time, you know, it, you know, some of it's all like, uh, there's no like CGI or anything. So it all looks uh, evidently really real. So um, if you guys can get a chance to find it out there, I don't know if you can, I don't know if it's on DVD. If you can get it on DVD, I just got a copy from someone. You just got to watch it just to see what it was all about. But basically, yeah, they pretty much uh, messed up a lot of people, uh, yeah. adults hmm. and children alike. So um, hmm. they took it really far. So, you know, that's what happened on Halloween in the 90s, uh, thanks there to the BBC. There you go. So, so real, real quickly. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting messages from people that say that they can't post in um, the chat room for whatever reason. So if you have a question for Stanton Friedman and Kathleen Martin tonight, you can just send me a message on Facebook. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's weird because we, we're typing in from our end, right? But, but there's yeah, a, yeah. Okay. So there's just a little something weird going on in chat. But you know, that's just the way things go when you're dealing with technology. <laughs> well, here's one for you: clown costume sales are up three hundred percent. This comes to Fox by myfox8.com. Creepy clowns have dominated news headlines over the past few months with reports from people feeling threatened or just plain creeped out in the last thirty-two states. 
Claims have ranged from kids saying clowns were trying to lure them into the woods to people seeing them lurking on running trails. Some reports have been confirmed as hoaxes, but others come from photo proof. These news headlines are creating profit for many Halloween retailers across the country. Halloween sales already add up to an estimated $7 billion in the United States each year, and now it appears a big part of that number will come from the clown costume. Clown mask sales are up more than 3% from a year ago, uh, the same period. Brad Butler of National Halloween Costumes Chain, uh, Halloween Express, told iOpener TV on Tuesday. In the top 10, eight of them are evil clown masks this season, whereas last year, five of the top 10 were evil. iOpener TV also reached out to National Halloween pop-up stores, Chain, Spirit Halloween. They declined to comment on their sales, strangely citing a policy not to comment on ongoing police investigations. Walmart and Party City didn't immediately respond to requests for preliminary sales data. With all these sightings and reports of children feeling threatened, we asked former prosecutor, licensed peace officer, and defense attorney Peter Schultz if law enforcement or stores should keep track of the sales of clown costumes. Schultz said no. These costumes are not illegal. Even what they're doing with the costume is not against the law. Creepy, yes, but illegal, no. Now, when I was looking this up, I saw another uh, thing, you know, because we're talking all this clown stuff going on, that some guy in a clown costume got shot with a shotgun. Like, he was in someone's, I mean, I knew it was going to come, right? I mean, you knew it was going to happen. You're in someone's backyard for crying out loud. They got a family, you know. I mean, yeah. well, that's yeah, a, yeah. Well, you know, I know. Public right. panic is at an all-time high when it comes to clowns. Yes, it is. And I know you saw on Facebook. This is just a real quick one. Uh, there was a new room found in the Winchester uh, Mystery yeah, House. Yeah, I did see that. I didn't actually read the article, but I saw that. I, I saw the headline and went, "Oh, okay, cool." Yeah, it says a new room has been discovered and it's open to the public at San Jose's Winchester Mystery House, a Victorian mansion that was home to the widow of Winchester Rifle Fortune. The home's preservation team recently opened the new room, which is an attic space that has been boarded up since Sarah Winchester died in 1922. So that's been sealed up the whole time. Uh, Winchester boarded up the room after the 1906 earthquake because she was trapped in the room and she thought evil spirits were responsible for the quake. So um, Hmm. it's just I just saw that and I thought that was kind of interesting. Interesting. That's right. Well, I mean, that house is a mystery house for a reason. Uh, so uh, Bob recommends for people who are having trouble posting and chat, logging out and re-logging in and see if that resets you. Um, good luck. We're sorry that it's not working. It's something clearly going on on the end of MixLR. Also, Williams Events. Um, yes. So they go yep. he is doing his psychic development class at the museum on Sunday, this Sunday. Um from 2 to 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. And his class is $25. And my class is Saturday from 6 to 7.30. And it's $15. Look at that. Nice. So yeah, I that's... will not be undersold. <laughs> <laughs> da, da, da. So, yeah, that's it, the news uh, for today. But but I just wanted to n- mention with the the stats on the Mystery House, because I've never really looked at the stats of like how many rooms and stuff. It says it has 10,000 windows. 2,000 doors, 47 fireplaces, 40 staircases, 13 bathrooms, and nine kitchens. So there you go. 
Nine kitchens. That's some serious. Can you imagine having to That's a lot there? of kitchens. It's a lot of cleaning, man. If you're a docent or somebody over there has to work there, some serious. I, I, it's funny because you would think that, you know, some poor new guy would be started out and I'm going to go clean that room. Okay. And then what happened to that guy? Like, it's been an hour. Where'd he go? He just literally got lost in the house, you know? So that's I've never right. seen it. I've never been there or seen it. So, but it sounds cool. So that's really all I, I have for the news uh, this Thumbs evening. Up. Um, but yeah, you got to find that ghost watch, man. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting stuff. It kind of reminds me of what, it, you know, what it reminds me of the infield poltergeist case. Like the, the kind of setup seems the same, like the bedroom setup. It all seems the same. If you watch it, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's pretty weird. Well, that's very exciting. Yes, it is. Well, you know, life is exciting sometimes. Life is exciting. Yes, all right. Um, so should we go to break so that we can sure. get on with the big shoe? Yeah, hopefully Jim's typing in some questions for you because I got just the basics. And I'm kind of dumb. All right, so <laughs> stick around, everybody. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark here on MixLR. We will be back. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Hey everyone, if you can't get enough of Paranormal Underground, then I've got good news for you. We're on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and I think even on MySpace, and nobody has a MySpace page anymore. So check out Paranormal Underground on your favorite social media site today. Hey, great t-shirt. I've heard of that place. It's really supposed to be haunted. You wear such cool t-shirts. You must have been, what, to every haunted spot in the country? Well, not really. I'm a member of hauntedshirtclub.com. I get a great t-shirt from a different haunted place every month, along with an info card with photos and stories and more. I can hardly wait to open it every month. Wow, I have to check that out. Hauntedshirtclub.com, right? Yep, that's it. Join me at the Big Seance Podcast. I'm Patrick Keller of BigSeance.com, and this is a place for an open discussion on all things paranormal, but specifically topics like ghosts and hauntings, paranormal research, spirit communication, psychics and mediums, and life after death. The candles are already lit, so you might as well come on in and join the Big Seance Podcast. This is Jack Kenna, paranormal investigator and author with Spirits of New England, writer and correspondent with Paranormal Underground Magazine. Also, starting this Sunday, August 28th at 10 p.m., you can catch me on Haunted Case Files, which will highlight numerous investigations from our Spirits of New England team, as well as other investigators throughout the Northeast. Find out more at our website at www.spiritsofnewengland.org. Hey everyone, this is Winter Balefire. If you share in my love for the macabre and bizarre, please check out my website, winterbalefire.com. There you'll find some of my dark poetry, short stories, and blogs on the paranormal and occult. 
I'm also active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under the name Winter Balefire. Thanks. Hope to see you guys soon. The traditional light bulb, a groundbreaking invention in 1879. It's time we switch to longer-lasting Energy Star light bulbs. They're more efficient than the old bulbs, like a text message is more efficient than a carrier pigeon. And they cut down on our energy costs. Because in our own groundbreaking age, we deserve a light bulb that saves us some cash. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. So you're looking for the best in Paranormal Radio. Well, you just found it. Right here on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark. Join me, Chucky G, and my awesome co-host, Karen Frazier, for topics ranging from the metaphysical to the unexplained. That's right. Every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and other times in the flyover states on MixLR, we will delve into all things paranormal. And along the way, we hope to entertain you and have a few laughs as well. So join us on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark, exploring the unexplained. Welcome back. This is MixLR. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark with your hosts, Karen Frazier and me, Chucky G. And now we have our wonderful guests, Stanton T. Friedman and Kathleen Martin. Welcome to the show, guys and gals. Thank you. Glad to be Glad here. To be with you. Yeah, I heard. Uh, now we were talking on break there to Stanton. You were like the very first guest on the show, correct? That's what I'm told. I don't that's know. What he, that's what he was informed. Yes, it was our very wow. first week. It was a pre-recorded podcast. Uh, it was the first one we had ever done. It was uh, very different than it is now with the live show and everything else. But yes, you graciously came on and you were our first guest. And we had a, a great, we had a panel that had a great discussion with you. So it was fantastic. Well, there you go. So for people who, I don't know, people who wouldn't know who you are, can you guys give us a little background on each one of you, whichever one wants to go first? Ladies first. Well, ladies first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm a gentleman. Um, <laughs> I am, uh, uh, was educated as in, in the social sciences, graduated from the University of New Hampshire, did graduate work in education, the thing that brought me to the UFO field is that I'm the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. I was 13 when their incident occurred. And um, after many years in the field of education, I decided that I wanted to leave and I wanted to become a writer. And I was going to write Betty's biography, but I ended up reviewing all of the files in her uh, archival collection that she at that point had in her house, mm-hmm. uh, transcribed the hypnosis tapes, uh, did an extensive investigation, and ended up writing Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience um, with Stan. We mm-hmm. went on to write Science Was Wrong, and then I wrote The Alien Abduction Files with Denise Stoner, and Stan and I have our new book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers. In addition to that, I'm MUFON's Director of Experiencer Research. I'm on the Board of Directors of the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. And uh, I've given my expert testimony on the History, Discovery, National Geographic, and Destination America channels. Wow. And Stanton? Uh, I'm... <clears throat> I got an earlier start growing up in New Jersey. I uh, got a bachelor's and master's in physics from the University of Chicago, 
spent 14 years in industry working on a wide variety of advanced, exciting, eventually canceled nuclear research and development programs. Small companies, GE, GM, Westinghouse, uh, Aerojet, General Nucleonics, McDonnell Douglas Astronautics. I think I set a record for working on canceled programs. Got interested in saucers just by reading a book in 1958, which seems like a long time ago. I uh, read a bunch more books, and in 1961, I had an epiphany, if you will, um, found at the University of California Library a copy of the biggest study ever done for the United States Air Force, Project Blue Book, Special Report 14. And it was surprising to me because it wasn't mentioned in any of the, by then I'd read 10 books, and because I found uh, an extremely important event to me, I found that the Secretary of the Air Force in the press release about the study lied through his teeth. And that made me angry. I had the report. The, they, the press release went a lot of places. Very few copies of the report were released. But he said, quote, on the basis of this study, we believe that no objects such as those properly described as flying saucers have overflown the United States. Even the unknown 3% could have been identified as conventional phenomena or illusions if more complete observational data had been available. Now, the press release didn't give the title of the report, Project Blue Book Special Report 14. They didn't say who did the work for scientists at Battelle Memorial Institute. And the fact is, when you look at the darn report, the unknowns weren't 3% or 6% or 12%. They were 21.5%. And they were completely separate from the 9.3% listed as insufficient information. Mm -hmm. And they compared the unknowns to the knowns. Probability that the unknowns were just misknowns. Less than 1%. And the better the quality of the sighting, the more likely to be unidentified. Well... I was angry. I mean, I was accustomed. I had a security clearance. You, sometimes you have to tiptoe around the truth. But outright lying from the Secretary of the Air Force? So that got me looking hard to find out what else, what was really going on out there. He must have a reason for lying. Mm -hmm. And I, I was surprised as I read the books uh, to find that there was lots of data, good data, and I gave my first lecture inadvertently, you might say. I appeared on a radio program, and somebody at work asked me to speak. This was in Pittsburgh. And uh, I did, and you know, now I've given over 700 lectures in all 50 states, 10 provinces, and 18 other countries. Uh, so I've had a very good opportunity to see what the people think about this, mm -hmm. mostly at colleges, I must say, and professional groups. And so uh, I've worked with Kathy on three books, I've published more, I've given more talks at the annual MUFON Symposia than anybody. Uh, I'm a big mouth. And I do bring to the table a couple of things that very few people do. Okay. One, I worked on advanced propulsion systems for deep space travel. Worked on fission nuclear rockets, which we successfully tested before the program was canceled. <laughs> I worked on a study of fusion for deep space propulsion way back in 1962. Mm -hmm. I had a clearance for 14 years, and I hear people saying things about security that are absolutely nonsense. Uh, nobody can keep a secret today with YouTube and the Internet. Right. Nonsense, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and for people who say that, uh, I'd be happy to show them 
156 pages of whited out documents from the National Security Agency, all but one sentence per page. Wow. Uh, nobody has found out what's underneath the whiteout. Uh, and recently, when people have tried to get another set of those, uh, we can't find the originals, folks. Mm-hmm. In addition, I found out years later that the NSA had put out a, what do I call it, a letter to their various and sundry groups saying, if you have a request for information about UFOs from Stanton Friedman, and they blocked out my address, thank you, uh, do not respond as required by regulation number so-and-so. Instead, pass the request on to us. That isn't part of a cover-up? Of course it is. Mm-hmm. And I've got lovely CIA blacked-out documents. You can read six words maybe on a page. Mm-hmm. So people who say you can't keep secrets, oh, I'll mention uh, Lockheed had a little program to develop the stealth aircraft, $10 billion over 10 years. Uh, that's keeping a lot of secrets. That was done in secret. And there's yeah. a whole bunch of other examples. Mm-hmm. But we, what Kathy and I have done in the new book is to try to make sense out of all this stuff and put together a picture of, what can I say, dishonesty, just debunking, disrespect, disinformation. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's time somebody told the story. I mean, I'm getting old. I can't wait for somebody else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, though, I always wonder, what is, what's the purpose of the disinformation? Do they just, is it, you know, do they just think we can't handle the truth? Well, I don't, uh, you may have noticed, I don't speak for the government. <laughs> sure. But uh, I would, I do have a chapter in my book, Flying Saucers and Science, about the UFO why questions. One of them, why the cover-up. Uh, first, I think there are national security implications. We recovered wreckage of saucers at uh, near Roswell, uh, near the plains of San Augustine, both in New Mexico, near Aztec, also in New Mexico, Kecksburg, uh, Pennsylvania, and there are more. Now, during World War II, it was standard practice. If you got an intact enemy craft, whether it was a tank or an airplane or whatever, you went over it with a fine-tooth comb to find out what you could learn to improve your technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, That just makes sense, you know. Uh, And so, firstly, you don't want to give away any information that might help your potential enemies uh, to go with their information, which they're not giving you, uh, to put together a new system, a new approach, maybe a better way of uh, monitoring flights in the atmosphere. Who knows? That's mm-hmm. the first thing. Secondly, think about it. We now live on a planet which this year will spend a trillion dollars on things military. A trillion dollars. Despite all the kids that died of starvation yesterday. And we have our identity as a bit of nationalism. You know, you're a Greek or a Peruvian or a Canadian or an American or a Chinese or whatever. Not many people saying, well, I'm an earthling, sir. Uh, And if we tell the world we're being visited, then we have a question. Who speaks for the planet? Mm -hmm. How do we give up the power? How do nobody in power, at least it's been my experience, people in power don't want to give up power. Mm -hmm. And if you change from a, a nationalistic approach to a planetary one, a lot of people are going to be giving up power. Uh, third, there's a religious problem here. Uh, there's still some fundamentalists saying that uh, all the intelligent people on the universe are here on planet Earth. This UFO stuff is the work of the devil. And what are they going to tell their people? 
Also, uh, you might have noticed if they tell us what's going on, they have to admit, well, we've been lying for 70 years, more than 70 years. Uh, You know, uh, these are sensible considerations. Now, who knows? Maybe there's a deal made between us and them, the aliens, and somebody's collecting uh, money for the privilege of not talking about what's going on. I don't know. I I don't write science fiction, so Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of good solutions for you. But those are enough, uh, having worked under security, as I say. Look, the, the first spy satellite, the Corona spy satellite, there were 12 failures in secret back in uh, the 60s. Uh, yeah, 60s. Uh, no, 50s, sorry. Uh, Kennedy came in at, at the end of that. And uh, we didn't say anything publicly about, and there were many more put up uh, for 30 years. And those satellites, the first one, successful one, number 13, got more data about Soviet military structures than all the U-2 flights that preceded it. And we didn't say boo about it. Mm-hmm. Understandably. We don't want them to know what we know. Uh, and so, you know, there may be other reasons. Maybe this is a penal colony. They've been dumping all their bad boys and girls here for years. Uh and we don't know, we don't want people to know how poorly we're thought of by the guys out there and gals. In the space, yeah. So, so I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm gonna, I'll ask Kathy and then I'll ask you. But I just want to know, like, what was, the, what was the very first thing to each of you that, that made you believe in extraterrestrial life? What was, the, what, was the, what was the key factor that made you say, yeah, okay, this is real? For me, yeah. uh, for me, it was the research that I did on my aunt and uncle's case. Okay. When I realized that they had observed a very large object uh, in the sky, they had made a report to the Air Force. The object was as large as a dinner plate at arm's length at one point, and remember the full moon is the size of an aspirin at arm's length, so this Mm -hmm. was huge. And this was part of their conscious continuous recall. Also part of the conscious continuous recall was my uncle's observation of non-human entities looking down at him and Betty when he was standing in the field, she was in the car. Mm -hmm. And uh, the cover-up of all of this I found considerable evidence, including the physical evidence in their case, on Betty's dress, on my uncle's dress shoes that were so badly scraped he had to purchase new shoes, on the trunk of the car where there were counter-rotating magnetic fields. There was a tremendous amount of evidence in their case, and they were credible people. And I watched for many, many years as disinformants uh, told lies about what had happened to them as the Air Force changed the original report to make it sound as if Betty and Barney had observed a stationary object in the sky instead of what they clearly stated in the original report uh, was a vehicle that ascended and descended and rapidly and swooped down. Uh, traveled in an erratic pattern. All of this combined uh, to convince me that all of this was real. 
And I looked at a lot more evidence, too. But this was the, the first case. I was 13 years old when it happened. And so it had a personal tone for me as well. And in addition to that, I had did have a fairly close encounter of a UFO myself when mm-hmm. I was with Betty. Okay. And Stan, what was your first, what was your first major realization? Well, it was, uh, I, I think the, the clincher was looking at Blue Book Special Report 14 that I just mentioned and the comments from the Secretary of the Air Force. I, I, I was so shocked that uh, Donald Quarles was his name, uh, that he would stoop to the level of flat-out lying. Uh, and I found many other examples after that, as we talk about in the new book, but still. Uh, and also, I was well aware that the objections being made to flying saucer reality as alien spacecraft, some of them, mm-hmm. some, that's what matters here, right. uh, just didn't stand up. Yes, you can cover things up. Yes, you can get to the stars. If you're willing to spend the dough, you can go. That was the conclusion of a study I worked on for an Air Force study. We got $9 million to look at uh, fusion for interstellar travel. Now, for the listeners who aren't aware, almost all the energy in the universe is produced by nuclear fusion in the stars. That's what goes on in H-bombs, too. But as a peaceful-looking person, I'd rather talk about the stars. (laughs) (laughs) But the point is... Uh, we already know. I'm sure there's something better. That wouldn't surprise me. Technological progress almost invariably comes from doing things differently in an unpredictable way. Mm-hmm. But still, uh, having worked on a study like that and looked at advanced technology, I mean, we're, we're, we're a primitive society. Major activity is tribal warfare. We didn't even discover the neutron until 1932. The planet's over 4 billion years old. So anybody could think we're the most advanced characters around. That's pretty egotistical. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I am really curious about disinformation. So as a member of just the general population, is there some way that I can recognize when I'm being fed a line of crap? Is there an anatomy to disinformation that would help us discern it as such? <laughs> there really hey, that's is. a great title for a book. <laughs> <laughs> what you have to do is do your research, I believe, in order to identify disinformation from the truth. Uh, you can find inconsistencies, but oftentimes there are uh, people such as Philip Klass, who is considered to be a mainstream journalist, a credible person, the go-to guy that the media went to when they wanted balance in a UFO report. They believed what he was telling them. And uh, this still occurs today. Uh, Oftentimes, individuals will interview me uh, about a case and... Uh, then they will bring out a disinformant who will lie about the case. And how will the public know the facts unless they actually go to the archival records and take a look? Um, They could read my books, and uh, a lot of people believe that I'm credible, and therefore they believe what I have said. I've laid it all out. I've Mm -hmm. I've presented the evidence. That's easier 
when you know that someone is a researcher and they're highly credible. But if you want to find out the truth for yourself, go to the archives. That's where it is. Gotcha. Now I have, I've I been got, to 20. Go ahead. So you say, Stan? I've been to 20 archives, some of them many times, like the Eisner Library, the Truman Library, the National Archives, etc. Mm-hmm. There's data out there. And my basic rule as a physicist is have facts in hand before putting mouth in gear. Sometimes you have to <laughs> yeah. say, I don't know enough, you know. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe uh, yep. it might have a big gray basket, as I call it. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to go for the facts. You have to uh, not just speculate, not mm-hmm. do your research uh, by proclamation as opposed to investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as a specific example of that, uh, some people got very upset at me when I said that the late Dr. Donald Menzel, a Harvard University professor of astronomy, who wrote three anti-UFO books, was, according to a document that I say is genuine for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, that he was on the inside of this Operation Majestic 12 group set up to deal with crash saucers and all the rest of the stuff in very great secrecy. How could that be? But none of these people have gone to the Harvard archives where I found damning stuff, uh, proof that Menzel had a longer continuous association with the NSA, you know, never says anything, no mm-hmm. such agency, you know those guys, mm-hmm. Mr. Yeah. Snowden's friends. I like that, no friends. such agency. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, they, they couldn't believe that he would be part of that. Well, uh, sorry, but I found proof in his words. He told Pre- President Kennedy that he had a longer continuous association with the NSA than anybody, hmm. 30 years. And there's a whole bunch more. But what I'm saying is I found it in writing, in his words, at the Harvard archives mm-hmm. and had to get permission from three different people to look at his papers, at wow. Menzel's papers. So what I'm saying, you can go there. But if you're going to take me on and say it isn't true, show me. Give me some reason. Review re- my arguments. Rebut mm-hmm. my arguments. Yeah. So I got a couple questions. One, I'm going to throw to Kathleen because it's directed to her, and then I'm going to throw to Stanton. So first one for Kathleen, it says, uh, from Bob, I don't recall any mention if Barney and Betty were taken more than once. It seems like abductions are not a one-time thing. How would you respond to that? I would respond by saying that uh, many abductions have occurred only one time. However, uh, the majority, it appears, occur more than one time. And I wrote about this in Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience, where I do believe that Betty did have more than one abduction experience. Uh, And uh, I go into great detail, but one example of this was that uh, she was uh, driving with uh, the lady who lived upstairs from her. She was Betty's tenant. Uh, home to their Portsmouth home uh, from my grandparents' house in Kingston, New Hampshire. It was about a 20-mile trip. And as they were driving down the road, uh, a UFO swooped down over their car. It projected a light into their car. And uh, the next thing they knew, they found themselves a little bit further down the road than they remembered. Uh, And... uh, the Betty's friends said, uh, I'm never riding with you again. I'm never going with you out here. 
Uh, that that's an indication to me that something might have happened. Uh, mm-hmm. We know the modus operandi of the way UFOs used to behave back when they were taking many people from traveling vehicles. And right. oftentimes they swooped down and projected a light into the vehicle. So I suspect that uh, Betty was taken several times, mm-hmm. but she was so criticized. Her life was made miserable, in my opinion, by the debunkers who were constantly uh, disinforming the public about who she was and what she did. She was a credible person, but she was made out to be a kook. And if she had told anyone that she thought she had been abducted more than one time, they would use that against her. So I really don't blame her for her uh, continued stand that she was not taken more than one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, uh, Stan, I have one from Chad. Uh, he said he wants to know, what about the idea that UFOs are more spiritual in nature and not so much technical? What would you, how would you respond to that? Well, I don't see that those two are mutually inconsistent. Uh, I would expect advanced beings to know about a lot of things that we not very advanced beings uh, don't know about. Uh, one of them being, say, reincarnation, telepathy, and maybe spiritual. Maybe they know about God, if I can use that word on the radio. <laughs> sure, yes. Uh, and so uh, it, maybe when a civilization is successful for a while mm-hmm. and maybe doesn't have the enormous military budget, and, you know, what what's the number that were killed during World War II? Oh, no, during the, the last century. What was it, Kathy? A hundred million? Two hundred million. Two hundred million. Oh, for all the wars. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In the 20th so, century. Uh, we obviously are not very spiritually advanced. I mean, we say last rites over dead people. <laughs> that That's not the same as being spiritual. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I, I certainly haven't seen any examples of aliens uh, being uh, religious leaders to the people they abduct. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I'd be astonished if people who can get here haven't established a society that's better otherwise than they destroy themselves. You know, either you learn to live at peace with your neighbors or it's uh, have a war. That's our way. Wow. Right. So we've talked to people on the show um, who claim to have um, that claim that they're alien abductees. And they talk about um, hybrids and aliens here living among us on Earth. Are there is there any kind of evidence of that that you can find in research? And how do you go about researching that? You know, that's that is very difficult uh, when it comes to uh, being able to get confirmatory evidence that uh, a, a, an experiencer's child is a hybrid. Because who wants to put that information on the public record? What would the government do? What would the military do if they felt that hybrids were taking over the earth surreptitiously and they wanted to kill them? I've seen evidence that causes me to believe that uh, some of these children are highly gifted. Uh, They are highly intelligent. They're telepathic. Um, they can move objects with their minds. Uh, they have knowledge that most children don't have. But uh, 
their mothers are not willing to have them take a DNA test. I'm not even sure that something like that would show up on a DNA test. Maybe it's in in the junk DNA. Maybe the DNA has been altered. Uh, so how would we know uh, necessarily? And we, I would not want to see that in the hands of any government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's another point, too, here, that there may be many different races coming here, just as there were many different uh, explorers that came to the New World after Columbus and with very different agendas. And, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? Are they here to steal our souls, uh, convert the heathen, you know? Mm-hmm. Or are they here to steal our gold, which is a very different matter? <laughs> uh, and there were uh, explorers that were out to do both of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they were here to bring back vegetables. Uh, tomatoes and potatoes are New World <laughs> source. Uh, you know, what, what I'm saying is we've got a lot of unknowns here. And when I check my audiences after my lectures, I've done this over and over again. How many people here believe they've seen a flying saucer? It, it comes out a surprising 10%. But when I ask, how many of you reported what you saw? 90% of the hands go down. Wow. So if we're fearful, I mean, and I tried a little experiment in the classroom, had the professor help me. I asked two questions, and I want you to vote with your eyes closed, I said. 80% thought most people didn't believe in UFOs of that same group, and we didn't announce that until after the next question, which was how many of you do believe in flying saucers? 80%. So if you're reluctant uh, to report your sightings, uh, to admit that you've had such an event, Mm -hmm. that's a strong restriction on how much real information gets out. Sure. We're seeing that that same thing right now. I was just watching a program uh, this evening about women making uh, allegations, if you will, about Donald Trump, sexual harassment, whatever you want to call it. And I don't want to go into it from a political viewpoint, but it was perfectly clear that most women, especially back a few years, would have been very reluctant to make an allegation about sexual uh, harassment from somebody in a power position, lose their job, lose their friends, lose their family, you know, uh, those are major concerns to people. Mm-hmm. And you can understand if a, a simple thing like seeing a flying saucer, uh, 90% won't report. If you got an alien child uh, or a number of other things we might think of, uh, people are very reluctant to stick their necks out, understandably. Sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I have a question from Jim, either one of you or both of you, if you want to feel this one. It says, uh, do our visitors have faster than light capabilities or are they willing to spend decades to reach us? What do you think about that? Well, you certainly don't need to spend decades. I mean, how long does it take to go around the Earth? Well, Magellan's ship took three years. The space mm-hmm. station does it in 95 minutes. I worked on a study of fusion propulsion. It looks like it takes less than a year to get close to the speed of light. And people want half an Einstein. Speed of light's the limit. Uh, the other half is that time slows down as you get closer and closer to the speed of light. So, uh, you know, you can do it in less than a year. If you, and, oh, incidentally, if people think, what do you mean speed of light? Who gets close to the speed of light? Well, we do at the Large Hadron Collider. 
the particles go at 99.9999999% of the speed of light. Wow. Uh, so we know something about that. Not mm-hmm. everybody, and I haven't gone for any trips. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to say, Stan, have you taken a speed of light trip there? Um, <laughs> not so, recently, no. Not recently? Okay. Um, I would I, like to make a comment. Yeah, on that, sure. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I have talked to a few theoretical physicists about this, and they believe that they are traveling here at the speed of thought, that they've developed interdimensional technology that makes it possible for them to move uh, in ways that we certainly cannot, and that they're not traveling in solid craft over that distance, but uh, they can, uh, once they enter the Earth's atmosphere or outside the Earth's atmosphere, then uh, cause their ships to go into three-dimensional reality, such as our own. Hmm. Well, can't you, I, I think that if you look at quantum mechanics or quantum physics, can't you find some evidence that particles work that way? So why couldn't it be on a more macro scale? Is that kind of what you're talking about there, Kathleen? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, I'm, I'm a dumb old, uh, work with a lot of engineers. I, li- I like fusion better than uh, fourth dimensional time warping because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I know about fusion. Well, I don't know how to do and, that. You know, I don't know how to know. do either one of them. So. Yeah. So you're ahead of us, Stanton. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's it, one hypothesizes all kinds of things, but I, I get a little irked at some of the uh, astronomers, for example, who, all know that every star produces its energy by nuclear fusion, but still think in terms of chemical rockets for deep space travel, which is absurd. You know, if I had told somebody 30 years ago that I could sit at my desk and look at a thing that costs less than $1,000 and be in contact with a billion people around the planet, uh, the Internet, etc., they'd have said I was crazy. Mm. Uh you know, and how many vacuum tubes does it take? You know, uh, <laughs> the world has changed in technology. Uh, Moore's Law, a great scientist who noted, if you will, after a period of time, that the number of, number of uh, transistors you can fit on a chip doubles about every year or two. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like much, but two times two times two times two times, whoops, <laughs> Uh, that's real progress, you know? Right. And I shock people by saying, I don't use a slide rule anymore. And I I shocked myself because I did that in a class of students in Detroit. None of them know what a slide rule was. (laughs) It was a device device for (laughs) making calculations, but I, I didn't realize how old I was. Uh, I was going to say, I only know what a slide rule is, is because my grandfather was an engineer oh, back in the day. Damn, well, damn. back in the day, I mean, but he was he was ninety eight when he died, well, and that was did. you know fifteen wow. years ago. Lucky, so he worked with slide rules. Lucky to say so. abacus, that would have been even worse than really. There, so. oh. <laughs> 
so this may this may be a totally off topic question, but it just kind of popped into my mind when when Stan, when you were talking about some of the the spiritual stuff. So there is a, at least one major religion that I know of, um, Scientology, that believes that humans are of alien origin, and I don't I don't know all of it, but I know L. Ron Hubbard was you know a, a, a yeah deeply scientific thinker do you think that there could be anything to that why not i mean uh, there are a lot of things that were thought to be impossible that's why uh, uh the original title for our book science was wrong was it's impossible isn't it <laughs> <laughs> and so you know uh we are constantly being surprised uh Partly because our egos say, well, we know everything there is to know, right? Uh, I talked with one TV broadcaster who uh, was doing a show, and between segments he says, look, uh, I'll admit that if aliens were visiting here, that would be a big story. If the government was covering it up, that would be a big story. But I read the New York Times every day. I've never seen anything that would lead me to that conclusion. So why should I bother spending my time? If it was true, I would know about it. Uh, well, uh, sorry, there are a lot of things that have been true that most people didn't know about. Mm -hmm. uh, secrets can be kept. That's true. You so know, I, I think that we could possibly be somebody's science experiment. That, we, uh, we're put that went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or yeah. perhaps we are the, our ancestors were an alien race who had destroyed their own planet. Perhaps mm -hmm. they engaged in nuclear war, and some of those people escaped, and they came to this Earth. And when they arrived here, there, you know, maybe there were dinosaurs, or maybe there were some, very, uh, some ancient mammals that were here, and that they had to make their way on this new planet, and they're behaving the same way now. We have not evolved a lot. Oh, that's so, true. Who knows? Well, yeah, that's, well, that's we, true. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, there was an important paper published at a meeting of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics just uh, last month by uh, a PhD in physics. Uh, and it was talking about strong evidence from isotope measurements on the surface of Mars of two huge H bomb explosions on Mars quite a long time ago that would have decimated all the life on the surface of it, uh, maybe a million years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the big question, of course, is, so who set them off? And where did they come from? Maybe they're us. Or, maybe you know. we're monsters. Right, exactly. Well, you know, you, yeah. you see they have, like, cave drawings of, looks like ships. They have, in, in Egypt, yep. they have the paintings where it's like ships. So, I mean, you know, you got to think there's got to be something to that. You know what I mean? At least I do anyways. Um, well, I heard a paper by two, uh, a couple from the University of Delaware. They looked at 11 old civilizations, all of them, without exception, had stories in their background, if you will, myths, call it what you want, of craft coming down from the sky with beings on board, 11 out of 11. Wow. So it looks like, well, there's also the book, uh, The Bible in Flying Saucer by Dr. Mm -hmm. Barry Downing, 
excellent book, and he's got a degree in physics, and then a, he's a doctor of divinity. <laughs> it's an unusual combination. Yeah. His big complaint is he can't get other theologians to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Well, I got a, qu- I got a question from Bob. Um, he said, it states, it says, Dr. David Jacobs felt the aliens had a sinister agenda, and others think they are here to save us. Which way do you feel the UFO community leans? And then, okay, we kind of, and we kind of touched on the second part, which says, or we are more of zoo animals to be studied, which Kath, Kathleen was kind of talking about. So, what do you, what, what would you respond well, to that? Whoever wants to, I would say, uh, since I specialize in more in ET contact, that uh, there seems to be a spectrum. And uh, most researchers are either at one end of the spectrum or the other. (laughs) I don't think that we're all leaning in any one direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have David Jacobs on one end who believes that hubrids are moving onto this planet to repopulate it and take our place, whereas you have people on the other end of the spectrum who uh, believe that highly spiritual uh, entities are here attempting to raise human consciousness and spirituality in order to save this planet. Maybe mm-hmm. all of these things are going on, yeah. and, and many other things, too, along the spectrum. Uh, you know, if we're not being visited by only one race of, of beings. And I was just going to ask that, is don't we, do, do people seem to assume that there's just like one group of aliens that's visiting us and that's all there is? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people do, and then they think that we, we ought to fight against each other about who's right. And, uh, that's, oh not the, that's not the way to view it, because well, there are so many different descriptions, and some of them appear to be space-faring astronauts who are here as scientists doing experiments or, or supervising us. Others uh, seem to be interdimensional, maybe even from a spiritual or astral plane. So there are many, many different things going on in the varieties of human experiences having to do with uh, this topic. Mm-hmm. And some right. of hey, they're mining engineers. They're what? They're, they're mining, <laughs> mining engineers. The Earth, as strange as it may sound to a lot of people, which was to my surprise that they thought it was strange, the Earth is the densest planet in the solar system. A cubic foot of Earth on the average weighs more than a cubic foot of any of the other planets. And you say, so who cares? Well, it turns out that heavy metals, dense metals, are rare in the universe. We know from studying the stars that... Uh, Hydrogen is everywhere, darn little uranium, but osmium, twice as heavy as lead? Who's heard of osmium? You know, you can't buy any down at the store, I don't think. Uh, And uh, iridium, there are a number of others. So maybe they've been mining the stuff from this planet. Uh, We have a lot of reports of UFOs going into and out of the water, unidentified submerged objects. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Maybe, Maybe they're picking up uh, nodules from the bottom of the ocean or those diamonds that washed in from the rivers of Africa. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Uh, and, you know, we, we think it's our planet. Uh, look, ask the graduate students who are coming here from Zeta Reticuli. So whose planet is it anyway? <laughs> yeah. Right. 
So one of the things that you see in reports of um, UFOs, alien abduction, and things like that is this concept of high strangeness. Is there research that supports or refutes that? Uh, absolutely. And in fact, uh, I'm a researcher. Um, I develop questionnaires and look for commonalities uh, among experiences that ex uh, abductees or contactees have. And 88% um, of the individuals who participated in the Marden Stoner commonality study of 2012 stated that they had paranormal experiences uh, in conjunction with their contact experiences. So they're seeing light orbs, and I have photographic evidence of this. I show it at my lectures. Um, I have... Uh, other evidence as well, I'm working on cases right now where there uh, appears to be perhaps three-dimensional craft, but interdimensional craft. It's almost as if there is an interdimensional portal. And the, you know, maybe this internet, interdimensional technology that uh, space-faring aliens are using uh, is also uh, being used are just naturally occurring with interdimensional beings. And sort of the way I, I talk about it is think of opening up the door to your home to let a guest in. The flies come in as well. And that might be what's happening because we have uh, individuals, I'm working on two cases right now, where there is a, a negative uh, parasitic attachment. Some people call it demonic. There's that kind of activity going on uh, as well. It's very, very frightening to the individuals who are having that happen, but they appear to have uh, contact with extraterrestrials too. One of them had an implant removed. We have um, clothing that uh, had unusual, uh, an unusual substance on it. It, it had been tan-colored, before the experience, after it had been left in a closet in a dark uh, space for a couple of weeks, it had a pinkish color, you know, sort of like Betty's dress, only it wasn't powdery. Uh, and we have these kinds of things going on. I am working on another uh, questionnaire right now, and one of the questions that I asked is, uh, have you had the experience of bed walking, um, such as, uh, you're on your bed and you feel an invisible something walking around on that bed. And the majority of people who participated in the study stated that they did. So uh, I'm, I'm looking for various forms of evidence, photographic um, and also commonalities among experiences. Mm -hmm. um, on this, and and I do believe that it is real. It's not somebody's imagination. We right. also have uh, electromagnetic and uh, electrical evidence. Mm -hmm. Now um, and healing too. Yes, yep. and healing. Absolutely, mm -hmm. evidence of healing. Wow. Cheryl okay. had a Cheryl had a quick oh. quick question with regard to the bedwalking. Cheryl does. Cheryl, you pop on your mic and ask your question. 
I was just wondering if you mentioned bed walkers, but what about bed shaking? Does that have anything to do with the UFO or extraterrestrial phenomena? Bed shaking, as far as I can tell, and and I hope that listeners will correct me if they're having this as well as bed walking. But bed shaking is more connected to a negative spiritual entity type of thing from from my understanding of it. I'm not receiving bed shaking reports from experiencers, just bed walking. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, There's a question from... Chad, we kind of touched on this. Well, Stanton, you were talking about this a little bit, but is the question was, uh, are there, because I kind of want to know too, is there UFO bases? Do you believe there's UFO bases under the earth or in the oceans? Do you do you have any feel that there's legitimacy to that? Well, uh, I can see where there might be at, at the bottom of the ocean because of all these reports. We have over a thousand reports that we know about of unidentified submerged objects. And what are they doing down there? I don't think they're having a fish dinner. Fishing? Uh, <laughs> you know, they could be mining. They could be doing other things. But the ocean is an obvious place to uh, to hide yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, we have satellites going all over the planet looking down on the planet. And so underground bases would make a certain amount of sense, uh, especially if the other guy is going to send a nuclear-tipped missile at you. You'd rather be down <laughs> quite a distance. Yeah. Uh, but the bottom of the ocean is, is an obvious place. And the Navy, interestingly enough, which has nuclear submarines that can go around the planet without coming to the surface, which is pretty neat, uh, the Navy Office of Naval Intelligence says, we don't have anything about UFOs. And I sent him a joint paper by Air Force Intelligence and Office of Naval Intelligence. And uh, thank you for the interesting paper. But as I told you before, we don't have anything. So uh, the Navy covers, what, three-quarters of the planet is covered with water? Uh, And so we're denied a source of data. Uh, They ain't telling us what's going on, (laughs) you know. Mm-hmm. And, and but I have had many reports from Navy people of great sightings, uh, but they talk to me. They know I'm not going to repeat it. I don't ask their names and so forth and so on. So I, I encourage people to talk because I promise them anonymity. Mm-hmm. How could I not? I'm yeah. much more interested in their story than exposing them. Mm-hmm. Now I have a question. You brought up sightings because you know there's you know the, all the famous ones, Roswell and such. But one that really interested me, and I wanted to just to get your take on it, was the Phoenix Lights. Um, yes, I found it to be very fascinating. I have a, a whole like documentary on it. Uh, what what, what we the... actually had Dr. Kataya on our our show. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know what their what their take is on that because I mean I find that really fascinating. Well, certainly Governor Symington. Uh, who made fun of UFOs, had one of his guys dress up as an alien after the Phoenix Lights case. But I was on Larry King when he came clean and said he was an Air Force pilot, and he saw it, the Phoenix Lights, and they sure as heck weren't uh, airplanes or anything conventional. Mm-hmm. And he knows about such things. As I say, he was a, he was a pilot. And there was some, the, one of the things that the people may not realize is that there were a lot of people out because of the Hale-Bopp Comet. Mm-hmm. How many times in your life do you get a chance to look at a comet, you know? Right. So th- there are a lot of witnesses, and 
the explanation about National Guard planes dropping flares just doesn't stand up. Yeah, no. And, of course, we have some uh, debunkers saying, well, those witnesses weren't uh, highly trained. This is uh, two women talking about watching this thing for a long period of time fly silently over their head, this huge thing. Now, how much training do you need to say that there was no sound uh, and it was flying slowly? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't need yeah. to be a professional uh, engineer or astronomer for that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think that was an excellent case. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, we had a lot of people who saw it, you know, and it, uh, Symington... When I heard him say that uh, he, he saw it and knew it wasn't an airplane, uh, some of those people are, are, what's the word, ashamed of how they treated it. They didn't mm -hmm. want public panic. They didn't want, uh, you know, to make a big deal out of it. And, and in our world, that's kind of understandable. Who mm. needs that? Right. So we have our eyes trained on the sky when we're looking for UFOs. Are there things that we should be looking for around us as opposed to above us? Well, certainly there are many reports of physical trace cases where saucers land and are observed. And when they leave, we find physical changes, everything from burn rings, burn circles, footprints. Ted Phillips in Missouri has collected more than 5,000 such cases from 80 countries. And these are smaller craft. These are not mother ships. And uh, I think it was uh, one out of six involved reports of beings associated with the craft uh, on the ground. Uh, but you sure don't hear much about those, do you? Right. Well, I think one, one thing that's happened that, that is going to have a long-term impact on this, uh, the findings of the Kepler spacecraft. Uh, satellite. Uh, it's going out and back in an orbit around the Earth, and it's watching an area of the sky about the size of your fist at arm's length, which is, isn't much of the <laughs> sky around us. But finding all these planets all over, when there were so many people who would have told you, there ain't no planets out there, man, we'd know about it, uh, <laughs> has changed. I, I don't hear people saying, surely we're the only ones. I don't hear that anymore. What I hear now is just the reverse. Surely we're not the only ones around. Okay. So I think that attitude uh, has changed a lot of people's attitudes. Yeah. You're not crazy if you say there may be life out there coming <laughs> <here>. <laughs> All right. So I have a final question here. All right. Um, what... All right. So, how how do you guys see? Um, say, what do they both see involving disclosure going forward? In other words, do you see there come a time where you know it's all out in the open? Well, I think that we would have to be well prepared for disclosure, and who is going to prepare us? All of the countries in in the world would have to work together toward disclosure. And it seems highly unlikely that disclosure is going to come from our governments because we can see that certainly we cannot cooperate. Uh, we are countries that are, function fairly independently of each other. We are a warlike society. There are wars going on. I cannot see that that is going to come soon from us. Mm -hmm. Now, will it happen yeah. from extraterrestrials? 
it could possibly uh, be announced by them. It could be if they could show up, uh, maybe in great numbers, and let all of us know that they are here. Or they could do something. You know, maybe they could uh, come down and uh, hover in a craft over every major city in the world. Oh, that wouldn't terrify people or anything. <laughs> well, well no. maybe they could. Maybe that wouldn't terrify leave. people primed by Hollywood. Right. Leave, leave after five minutes or something like that. <laughs> right. But, or, or, you know, send out the announcement. Uh, we come in peace. <laughs> but, or land in the middle of a World Series game. Yeah. There oh, you go. say there you go. That that. Anytime. Or a soccer championship that has more audience, I guess. It does. It has more worldwide audience, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe crash yeah. a meeting at the United Nations or a NATO meeting. <laughs> mm. Who knows? But uh, I, there are so many obstacles standing in the way of disclosure, and and you have to think about what level of disclosure as well. What would be disclosed? Our government and no government on this earth is going to tell us that some individuals are being abducted by aliens and subjected to physical examinations and experimentation and that we are powerless to to stop this. That would be extremely frightening to the human population. So I I just see so many problems uh, when I start to think about this. And in fact, we wrote an entire chapter in Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers about disclosure and its implications. Hmm. Stan, did you have anything to add? Uh, no, I think she covered it very well. Uh, Kathy did. I think we should tell you how to read, uh, how to find our books. Well, that's what we were just we were yeah, just headed to. Is, is that, that that's that's what we do next? Is the shameless self promotion we like to call it because we're big <laughs> self promoters and we want everyone else to be as well. So go ahead and and tell people where to find your books, where to find more information about you, or anything else you'd like to self promote. Kathy. Okay, I'll go first. My website is Kathleen with a K dash Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N dot com. You can purchase autographed copies of our books from either of us on our website. You can also purchase them at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble. Uh, we have hard copies, e-books, and audio books. And go ahead, Stan. Well, my uh, website is uh, stantonfriedman.com. Uh, Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. And there's a bio, and it lists all the books and DVDs, too, for those people. I found some people say they never read books anymore. What a shame. <laughs> you know? Yeah, gosh. Uh, so we're, we're easy to find, uh, and we're out in public a lot, and we know that people are interested and frankly, uh, they're willing to look at the tough questions. Uh, I've only had 11 hecklers in well over 700 lectures. Wow. And I come on very strong. Uh, I'm not an apologist ufologist, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> you you are not. So, and we were uh, both... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go on. You were finished. I was going to say I we was. were both going to be speaking at the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania MUFON conference. Uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving, and those the uh, details are on both of our websites. Great. All right. 
Well, uh, thank you both so much for coming on. Fascinating discussion. And, um, you know, I hope that we get to talk to you again. I hope, I hope so, too. too. Yes, All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks you guys have a great fun. evening. Uh-huh. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye. All right. There you go, guys. Stanton T. Friedman and Kathleen Martin. We've been talking a little bit of UFOs. So what we have coming up after the break is a correspondent report from William Becker of Paranormal Insights. Stick around. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark here on MixLR. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Hey everyone, it's Karen Frazier, co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Thanks for listening to the show. You've probably read my column in Paranormal Underground Magazine. I write columns about energy healing, metaphysics, and also dream interpretation. But did you know I also am an author of multiple books about metaphysics and the paranormal? You can learn more about the books that I've written on my website, authorkarenfraser.com. That's author karen k-a-r-e-n fraser f-r-a-z-i-e-r dot com hey are you looking for a new paranormal podcast check out all day paranormal with me crystal vermis and me manny vega we come to you every week with the latest in supernatural news and entertainment that's right and you can find out more by going to getspooked.net and don't forget to check out our youtube show by going to getspooked.net slash youtube global secret society what imprisons your overall freedom dismissed as a conspiracy mind controlling technology dismissed as science fiction evolutions in primal energies ghostly apparitions ufo and extraterrestrial life forms dismissed as a fantasy three books written by maria anna van driel telling you everything what can be known by revealing the truth of the most unbelievable actions governments have made in the last eight decades in mind and behavior control. My name is Daryl E. Berry Jr., longtime practitioner, researcher, and explorer of things metaphysical, mystical, and cutting edge, and founder and director of Next Density, a research education and development effort for personal and thus global progress transformation and development. My current and upcoming books include Travel Far, Classes on A Course in Miracles, and Next Density. For my books and other writings, videos, interviews, public talks, and workshops, and to schedule for consultations, classes, and courses, visit DarylEberryJr.com or NextDensity.org. Next Density. Change yourself. You are a waste. A loser. Everyone hates you. Why don't you just stay in your car and keep driving? I'm serious. Drive until you run out of gas and get out of your car and walk until you find someone who doesn't think you're dumber than bricks. Could take a while, but at least all that walking might burn a couple of calories. You may not witness bullying like this every day. Your kids do. They want to help, but they don't know how. Visit StopBullying.gov to learn safe, simple ways your child can help stop bullying. Be more than a bystander at StopBullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. 
So, you're looking for the best in paranormal radio. Well, you just found it. Right here on Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Join me, Chucky G, and my awesome co-host, Karen Frazier, for topics ranging from the metaphysical to the unexplained. That's right. Every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and other times in the flyover states on MixLR, we will delve into all things paranormal. And along the way, we'll, we hope to entertain you and have a few laughs as well. So join us on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark, exploring the unexplained. We are back. This is Mix LR. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark with Karen Frazier and me, Chucky Jean. We just had the most awesome discussion with Stanton Freeman and Kathleen Martin. I mean, it was just like, psh, psh. we were oh, just talking on breaks. Like a million amazing. questions. It went fast. I know. And, and, uh, there's never we never have enough time and i i was just telling you guys on break every time i talk to him of all of the people that we've had on the show he's the one that i'm just like i can't believe this person is on our show because he's (laughs) so well known in the field and she's this is first time we've ever talked to kathleen and she's fabulous Mm -hmm. fascinating and now we have mentioned it a few times, but now we're going we're gonna to move to our correspondent, Mr. William Becker. Uh, we're going to listen to his views of the history and haunted background as he toured the Rialto Historical Society headquarters and museum in California. So, Cheryl, can we roll that? Hi, everybody. This is William Becker of Paranormal Insights talking to you for Paranormal Underground in the Dark Radio. Today has been a fantastic day. I've just got a little bit of an insight for you. I'm here with my sister, Susie Sumter, somewhere in the midst of Southern California and sunshine and palm trees and smog and ghosts. And we went to the Rialto Historical Society today. It's really an amazing place. Uh, it's in a, an old church that is now a cultural center, and then they've got the old um, uh, Sunday school building that they use as a museum. The people running the place were so knowledgeable and very kind and very open about their ghosts. That's part of the reason we went, is when I first saw um, the place when we were looking for a place to go hang out today, um, there were reviews from paranormal organizations. So I thought, okay, that's a good place to, to hang out. Um, and yeah, it's haunted. Just looking at the church from the outside, I could see somebody, a minister who reminded me of the guy in American Gothic, the painting. The um, inside, in the doctor's area i didn't know it was a doctor's area and we were walking in and i kept feeling like a surgery and a doctor and somebody doing a, an operation seemed like a cesarean and it turns out yeah it was a surgeon and he was also i mean fairly recent history um so that works and there was also a little girl there i was picking up and did the site height and stuff for her and it turns out it's it is one of the ghosts that they had there, so that was useful. And also there was a Civil War veteran there attached to some of his uniform and a, a man preaching in the, in the church and just all kinds of things. And the people, I really encourage you to go if you get a chance. Now, 
my sister claims to be one of these psychic as a stump people. Um, she's laughing and I'm putting her on the spot. Now, you know, bear in mind psychic as a stump, except for, oh, I get these feelings and this and that. And I sometimes see things out of the corner of my eye. And yeah, so, okay. Um, anyway, Susie, uh, what you had some reactions today. Tell me what you thought of the museum. Sorry, folks, we're outside. Um, and what what reactions you had? What kind of responses did you get? Well, like you said, I am psychic as a stump normally, and I don't pick up on things that easily, I don't think. But from the whole time we were there, just about, including mostly in the church, I had chills almost the entire time. Um, even when the, the air conditioning wasn't running, you know, there was no air movement. I still had chills over pretty much my whole body. Um, some of the stories just really moved me. And I kept getting drawn when we left the church and went back into the museum in the uh, old Sunday school building. I kept getting drawn back into the doctor's room. I don't know if that was, well, I guess that was built later, so it wouldn't have been his office, but that's where all of his things were. And so the second time, well, the first time, I guess, I, I thanked him for sharing his story, um, letting us learn about his daughter and seeing all of this. And the whole time I was there, I, I just, I don't, I can't describe the feeling really. But I was very glad that we were respectful people because I have a feeling we would have been escorted out very quickly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anything else that you want to add? or I, Unless I've said something before, I can't think of anything. Did I say anything before that I should be adding? I can't think of anything. I think you probably pretty well covered it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, this is something, too, to really consider. You brought up the respect part. Yeah. They do have paranormal teams in there occasionally, and they have learned to go through something of a vetting process because they haven't all been respectful. And, of course, those won't ever be coming back. Remember, it's their location. We're the guests. And none of these entities are needing saving. None of them are needing much of anything. So often this is part of their personality and their story that they've l imprinted on items on on a place and um, they're very happy with that or sometimes they're just watching over making sure the stories are told right so anyway um that's it from southern california i don't know where i'll be broadcasting from next but have a wonderful time. Enjoy the paranormal and the ghosts. But remember to be respectful. And then uh, they will actually be respectful of you too. Take care. Bye-bye. All righty. And there you have it, folks. That was Mr. Thank you, Mr. William. Yeah, woo -hoo. Beautiful. Thank you, William. So sad news. Sad because news. Because the cat, cat woke me up at 2 a.m. 
I mean, after like two hours of sleep, not at 2 a.m. And I didn't go back to sleep. I yes. could not bring myself, my I couldn't wrap my brain around oh, lightning boy. round questions. So we're just going to do a little, I know. So we're going to do a little wrap up here. So next week, I am not going to be on the big shoe. (gasps) No. I know. So what do we, what do we have coming up? Next week, we have Linda Godfrey. She is the author of a new book called Monsters Among Us. And we will be talking to her on October 20th. So please come and join us in MixLR. Search Paranormal Underground Radio. And then on the 27th, right before Halloween, we'll be talking with Nick Roth and Katrina Weedman. They are from the Destination America show called Paranormal Lockdown. You've probably also seen Nick on Ghost Adventures. <laughs> I'm a little excited. Sorry. <laughs> are you okay there, Chuck? Woo! Okay. Oh, Chuck! Woo-hoo! Chuck, I want to talk to him. I want to talk to these people so bad. I, I have a hunch that I'm not going to be able to get a word in edgewise, but it's okay because <laughs> I've, talked to, I've talked to both Nick and Katrina in the past so i'll let you i'll let you lead for that thanks. one thanks man yeah yeah sure yeah sure you betcha yeah um, sure mm-hmm. and then so cheryl i noticed that it's not even mid-month yet and i got my articles for the magazine for review so does that mean it Ba-ba. means that we have a super huge october issue it's going to be loads of fun lots of good stuff in there and I am hoping, fingers crossed, it will come out by this weekend. Oh my God! Yeah, but what so you should do? Watch for that. Yeah, watch. Go to paranormalunderground.net. Wait mm. for the October issue. It's going to be blockbuster, and it'll appear online at paranormalunderground.net in just a few days. Is it like a supersized issue? It's going to be pretty darn supersized, yes. It's Woo! going to be huge. Lots of good stuff in there. Full of good spooky Halloween kind of content. Yep. Got a lot of good Halloween content in there. Got a lot of good spooky stuff, haunted stories, personal case files, all sorts of good stuff. I've got stuff from both of you two. Yes, I joined in again. Woohoo! Yes. What, what? I know. I shamed, I shamed poor Chuck yeah. into uh, it. Buddy, get back on the stick. Shame so poor Chuck into writing an article. It was fun, though. It's like I it. On. See, it is fun. It was fun. I was like, I missed this, so I went ahead and did it. It was fun. And who's on the cover of this wonderful, fine magazine for this October? Well, that would be Nick Groff and Katrina Weedman. <laughs> I feel like Chuck is, Chuck is like a little crushy here. Are you Are you feeling a little crushy? I'm, yeah, I'm going to be like this goofy fan guy. <laughs> really bad. Well, I'm our, looking forward to that. Yeah, though. our, our um, writer, and she also does our some correspondent segments here on our radio show, she, um, Crystal Vermis, she wrote, yeah. she interviewed uh, Nick and Katrina recently, and she wrote the Investigator Spotlight, which is our cover mm-hmm. feature. It's got some interesting insights into their ho- special Halloween episode that is upcoming. Yes, and, two hours. And two yeah, hours. it's going to be good. It's They mm-hmm. investigated at the Black monk of pontefract house in the uk <laughs> yes oh neato oh it's mm-hmm. awesome look forward okay to it. very cool so mm-hmm. um as much as as much as we'd like to continue it's like almost eight o'clock here and i'm pretty sure i'm gonna have to be in bed by eight bed. because i'm just i'm just <laughs> that tired because of the damn cat <laughs> so um since i was a terrible terrible person and didn't get the lightning round done this evening we are going to let you have 
10 minutes of your evening back by, by leaving <laughs> you early. So, um, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark here on MixLR. Yes. Thanks to our guests, Stan and Kathleen. Uh, you guys were fabulous. And thank you to William, the correspondent. Did I get everybody? Yeah, you did. You did. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your week and have a good weekend. And Chuck will be back next week with Patrick Keller, I think, sitting in the... in the Yes, ma'am. Riding shotgun. All right. Mm-hmm. Good night. Good night, good night, everyone. If you'd like to be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark, email us at editor at paranormalunderground.net. And until next week, remember this. If something looks out of place or doesn't feel quite right. It could just be something paranormal.